let's, let's pray before we get into the text that we're looking at this morning. Um, it, it always happens like that this particular passage of scripture, we've wound up here after spending nearly two and a half years in John's gospel. You know, so if you're thinking that you're here this morning and, and somehow this piece of scripture really touches your heart, please know that it was not us who planned it that way. All right, let's pray together before we, before we read the text. Lord Jesus, we ask that your spirit might be at work in us. Holy Spirit, would you reveal Christ this morning? You are the one who gave wisdom and insight and caused the disciples to remember all that Jesus had taught them. We ask that you would do that in us this morning. Would you help us to understand what we are reading? Would you help it to sink in, that it would transform us? Where we need to be convicted, would it convict us? Where we need to be healed and set free, would you heal us and set us free, that we might follow Christ? Lord Jesus, would you be the focus of of our time together gathering around the word this morning? We ask this in your precious name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, please open it. We are in John chapter 20. Um, If you don't have a Bible near you, um, well, there should be some in the pews. Um, I'm going to have the text up here on the screen, and I've actually colored in some of the words, depending on who's talking. Um, I wasn't sure how the colors would work out. That blue is not a great blue, is it? It's not a great blue. We'll find a better blue in future. All right, now... Remind me, you're allowed to call out, what, was the, what did we talk about last week? What was the thing that just happened in the text? Jesus appears to his disciples and what does he do when he appears to his disciples? He breathes on them. And what does he say when he breathes on them? When he turns up, he says, peace be with you. And as he breathes on them, he says, you're allowed to cheat. You're allowed to read the text that you have in front of you. This is a church where you're allowed to read your Bible, okay? So, receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we, we had a great chat about that. And who was, who were the people that we know were in the room? All right, Judas is gone. How many disciples do we have left? We have 11 left. And the text specifically says that who is missing? Thomas. And now we get John's follow-up to what happens with Thomas. And it starts here, verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which is not the coolest nickname in the world. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 26. A week later, they are three incredibly important words in the text. A week later, or maybe your Bible says eight days later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, important observation, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And we talked last week, this is, it's great that he actually says that. So that they, we can understand their response would have been a little bit surprised, probably quite freaked out. 
Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed or blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We're just going to chop this text up so that we can understand the different things that happen and the order they happen in, into a few little kind of episodes. The first thing is, John is speaking. The text in white is John's words. John is our author. Remember, he's one of the 12. He was there when this happened. And John writes and he gives us the context. Thomas is not there. The other disciples tell him, we have seen the Lord. Piece number one. They are telling him the truth. And imagine for a moment that conversation. It would probably not have been, oh yeah, by the way, we brought your washing in. And, uh, and I'm going to head out because we're, we're out of bread and we're out of milk. Oh, by the way, Jesus turned up. It would not have been that kind of conversation. We have seen the Lord. And in light of that, in light of what the disciples say, then the next thing happens, Thomas responds. And have a look at Thomas's response here. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Four times then, we have Thomas saying, this evidence may be acceptable to you, but it is not acceptable to me. I don't know if, you're, if you've ever had those moments where you dig your heels in. Where you go, you know what, maybe, maybe that's your opinion, but I'll make up my own mind. Thank you. This is kind of like the archetypal Aussie response to something. You know what, I'll decide what's true. I can make my own mind up. Thank you very much. You know, what you believe is good for you, but I'll believe what I want to believe. I, I know sometimes I dig my heels in, particularly to do with movies. I don't know if anyone else in the room does this. But every now and then, someone who wants to be really encouraging to me, like Michael, will say, Bob, there's this movie, that, and you've got to see it. It is just a fantastic film. And for years, this has been my practice. My practice has been quite simply to go, oh, yes, uh, I'll, I'll have a look at it. And what that means is, I'll decide whether it's a great movie. Thank you very much. This is true. Now, maybe you do this with other things. You know, people dig their heels in about different things. But in my mind, when I say, oh, I'll, I'll get around to it and have a look at it, what that means is there will come a day when the planets line up, when for some reason my children fall asleep when I want them to, where I have the right bowl of either popcorn or Doritos, where Anthea's probably doing university work, so she doesn't mind if I watch an action film or, or something else. And in that space, then... I will call that film before my judgment seat <laughs> or my judgment couch. And in that context, in that moment, then I will analyze it. I will have a look at plot, 
development and characterization and the skill of the actors and the, and the writers and, and all those different things that I love about film. And then I will decide whether or not it's an appropriate film. Now, this is a very, very silly example, but have a look at what Thomas is doing here. Thomas is giving his criteria. Jesus is about to be made to come before the judgment seat of Thomas. Read again Thomas's words. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, criteria number one. Put my finger where the nails were, criteria number two. And put my hand into his side, criteria number three. I will not believe. And I've got to tell you, I hear this from, from people all the time where they go, actually, here is my criteria. If God turns up and meets my criteria, then I will give him my allegiance. See, maybe we're a little bit more like Thomas than we think. And so a week later, three extraordinarily important words, because for all of the doubt Thomas has, he hangs out with this group of 10 excited the week directly following the resurrection of Jesus, disciples. Thomas is still there for his doubt, for his not being convinced, for him going, yeah, I don't know really what I think about this. He actually sticks around. Maybe he's hanging out for something. Maybe he's desperate to be there. This is the same room. It says there, verse 26, they were in the house again. Thomas is there this time. Even though he has doubts, he has not bailed. He has not just decided to stop turning up. It's interesting that Jesus, Jesus has not suffered for this week. Jesus, the Lord of creation, resurrected from the dead. His kingdom has, has now come into process of being rolled out across all creation. For this week, has Jesus suffered because of Thomas's criteria? The only person Thomas's criteria has harmed is actually Thomas. Jesus hasn't missed out on anything. I think it's fascinating that Jesus almost, we could say, lets him stew for a week. I think I'm pushing the text to say that that's actually what's going on. But the timing is interesting. Thomas is still there after a week, after eight days. And then Jesus turns up. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he talks to Thomas and Jesus answers Thomas's criteria. How on earth did Jesus know what Thomas's criteria was? Oh, that's right, he's Jesus. And here he says these words, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. In, in using those words, in particularly handing back to Thomas his criteria, Jesus is saying, I heard you. You couldn't see me, but I could see you. You couldn't hear me, but I could hear you. This might be your criteria. This is actually not criteria that Jesus put in place. Jesus did not give Thomas a set of rules or a set of things that Thomas had to grapple with and come to understand before Thomas would actually exercise faith. Thomas put these definitions and these hoops in place that he expected Jesus to jump through. And it's an extraordinary act of grace 
and mercy that Jesus turns up and answers him. But have a look here at the, at the end of verse 27. Jesus says this, stop doubting and believe. Jesus addresses Thomas as though Thomas now has a choice to make, as though he himself is in control of something. Let's pause on that thought for a minute. Went looking for artwork. I know 2,000 years of Christian analysis and, and art and all this sort of stuff, you get some really interesting depictions. This is an interesting depiction. Again, you, you look at it and you go, this might have been a vinyl cut. This is, you can see what they're trying to do here. I really like this one. I think this is pretty cool. This is from about the year 1375. I think the only thing that I find odd about this is you get these disciples over on one side who are kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, Jesus is here. And then we have something like this, Caravaggio, the incredulity of St. Thomas, this work is called. And I love this because this is a great vivid way of going, yeah, this is how Jesus treats a skeptic. The grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, he turns up and he says, oh, cool, you have questions? Bring your questions. You want to put your finger in my hand. You want to put your hand in my side. Okay, does it somehow make more sense to you now? Thomas had a set of criteria which when Jesus met, Thomas would then understand and give his life to Jesus. Aussies are the same. Maybe you're the same this morning. To go, here is a criteria. When this adds up, when this is met, I will give my life to Jesus wholeheartedly and fully. The irony of this is, Thomas puts his hand in Jesus' side and just think for a moment, Jesus has open wounds and they're not bleeding. Jesus turns up in a locked room. He can still speak. What is the nature of the relationship between Jesus and the laws of physics? What, what is the biology of Jesus? What are the chemical reactions going on in, inside Jesus? Is he breathing? If he's breathing, what on earth are his lungs oxygenating? Because we don't see him bleeding out. It doesn't make more sense. It makes less sense. The nature the nature of Jesus is not something that all of a sudden gets pinned down by Thomas. And we can kind of wrestle with this and go, oh, all right, it makes sense. If Jesus did, did obey the laws of physics, he would not be the author of physics. He would not be the creator of the universe. If Jesus did have to knock on the door to walk through, then then you go, it, it actually makes him somewhat less than what he is. You know, when, the more we look at the scriptures, we go, he walks on water. He calls out to Lazarus who is dead and Lazarus comes back from the dead. Jesus restores people whose bodies had been rotting out from under them with leprosy. Jesus multiplies food. Jesus spits in the dirt and makes mud and rubs it in the eyes of a person and restores their sight. Jesus does not make sense. It is weird. And if we go, you know what, I'm going to wait until it makes sense. I'm going to bring all of my criteria and I'm going to sift through logic and reason. Um, I'm going to use the tools of empirical verification. I will measure 
the historicity and, and the physical accuracy of the works of Jesus. And when I'm satisfied after he has come before my judgment seat and I have analyzed it, then I will give my life to Jesus. Not going to happen. Jesus says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. I believe those are his words for us this morning. You are always going to find more things about Jesus that simply don't make sense. That's because Jesus is bigger than our capacity to grasp him. That's because he actually is who he claims to be. If you're waiting for something to make sense, it's not about to make sense. You can come and and you can bring all of your questions to God. This is what I love about this passage of scripture. Jesus does not reject Thomas. What Thomas gets from Jesus is not wrath and bolts of lightning and smiting. Thomas doesn't get kicked out for having doubts and for having questions and for saying, this doesn't make sense. I just, I've got to see this for myself. Jesus invites scrutiny. If you have questions, bring your very best questions, but understand you are going to get more questions. And Jesus says to Thomas, Stop doubting and believe. Let's go back to this text just for a moment here. Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is describing here in verse 29 what is about to become normal for having faith in Jesus. It's almost implied in this verse that this is what he expected from Thomas in the first place. He heard the testimony of the disciples and he was not satisfied. So what are you hanging out for this morning? Do you have a criteria that God has to meet before God is worthy of your entire life? Are you waiting till it all makes sense? Sorry, it's not about to make sense. If it did make sense, Jesus wouldn't be God. Thomas can always find more things he doesn't understand. Thomas can go away from these experiences that he has had and go, "Ah, you know what, I'm not entirely sure what was going on here. Thomas could make his understanding necessary as the basis for faith. And I think that's true for a lot of us. It's very easy for us to go, you know what, I I must not be a very good Christian. It doesn't all make sense. It doesn't work that way. Jesus does not make your cognitive capacity the basis for faith, for belonging to him and him belonging to you. So what's your criteria that you're waiting for God to meet? Maybe God has to give you what you want. Maybe the hoops you have that God has to jump through are a different kind of hoops. I've shared the story before that there was a guy I worked with in a piano shop in Melbourne and I asked him the question, great question to ask people. What would God have to do? What do you actually expect? You know, what, what's, where's the bar? And he said that he wanted a check for a couple of thousand dollars to turn up in his letterbox. I went, right. Well, that would be an interesting God to worship if God did that. See, Jesus is under no obligation to continue proving himself, not to Thomas, not to me, not to you. He's under no obligation because Jesus knows who he is. 
Again, Thomas misses out for a week. Doesn't hurt Jesus. Jesus hasn't forgotten who he is. Jesus has not started doubting himself. It does not affect the truth of the kingdom of God. It does not affect salvation. It does not affect the nature of Jesus' authority or kingdom. Thomas has spent eight days missing out because he set up this criteria that God never gave him. So have you been missing out? Have you, like Thomas, dug your heels in? Have you created a set of criteria that actually stops you from engaging fully? Has, do you have a criteria which prevents you coming to God wholeheartedly? It's really easy. Imagine that the enemy of God comes and says to you, you know what, give your life to God, but it all has to make perfect sense first. If you accept that as the definition for faith, then he has trapped you. You now have a definition of what faith is, which will keep you from ever coming to Christ, from ever belonging to him wholeheartedly. So we need to assess our definition. We need to assess those things that maybe stand between us and giving our life fully to God. Jesus never made these conditions. Thomas did. Jesus never said it had to make sense. Jesus never said it had to be safe. Jesus never said you have to be a certain age or in a certain building or wearing special clothes or any of the other things which we turn into hurdles for Jesus to jump. It's really simple. Give your life to Jesus. Give him your life. He is true. If you doubt, then bring your doubt. Bring your doubts, bring your questions, bring them right up close into contact with Jesus' body. It is no mystery that throughout the scriptures, the church, groups of people like this who are following Jesus are called the body of Christ. If you doubt whether Jesus is true, bring your doubts into the body of Christ. Bring them into contact with the groups of people you find, like the people right here in this room, and you will find out whether God can be trusted. Ask the questions among the people who are sitting in this room and you'll find out whether or not God is good. You'll find out whether or not God convicts us of sin and of righteousness, whether or not God transforms people's lives. Bring your doubt, bring your very best questions and you will find out if Jesus is true and if Jesus can be trusted. So let's be real this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something a bit weird. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I don't want you to have a conversation with me. I want you to have a conversation with the Lord if you're game to do this. And simply ask the Holy Spirit. We prayed before we started having a look at this text that he would convict us and transform us and heal us and release us if we needed. That he would bring to mind the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit is a big boy and he knows what he's doing. And he has been transforming our lives for two millennia now, and we're going to ask him to lead our thinking, to reveal Jesus in us. And our question is this, Holy Spirit, would you please show us if there is something that we have placed between ourself and complete belonging to Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you please show us if there is something we have placed 
between ourself and complete belonging to Jesus. If the Spirit of God is putting his finger on something in your heart, if there is something that has come to mind, I want you to understand that Jesus does not put hurdles between yourself and himself. And if there is something that you are waiting to happen before you give your life wholeheartedly to Jesus, that's not something Jesus put there. And I urge you this morning that whatever it is, whatever is between you and Jesus, if you can lay it down without it having to make sense, then you will see that God is good. Say that again. I urge you, whatever it is, whatever is between you and Jesus, if you can lay it down without it all having to make sense, then you will see that God is good. In just a moment, we're going to pray together and then we're going to sing together. But I don't want you to lose what the Spirit of God has been showing you this morning out of the Scriptures, illuminating your heart, highlighting the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. If you want to pray one-on-one, I'm going to hang out. Down the front here, we can pray. If it's something you want to talk about during the week, we can catch up, we can talk during the week. But I don't want you to end up being trapped the way Thomas was trapped. By digging his heels in and refusing to budge. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we see your majesty and your grace. We can't fathom how powerful you are that that the physical, material universe just bends around you and is subject to your will. Lord Jesus, where we where we have taken the role of assessing you, of evaluating you, of even having demands that we require you to meet before we lay our life down in worship. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Would you cause us to move forward Laying down our control. Laying down whatever authority we think we have. Lord Jesus, would the words of Thomas be our words, my Lord and my God. Would you help us to follow you and to walk with you? Lord Jesus, we do ask for conviction where we need to be convicted, and healing where we need to be healed. Would you set us free from hurt, 
and from unforgiveness and from the need for control or power. And Lord Jesus, would you cause us to so reflect you in this world. Lord Jesus, would you meet with us this morning by your spirit. We commit ourselves to you and we commit this time and this space to you. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks, Max. You're going to come and lead us in one more song for this morning.